Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about a what we would now call a virtual visual. This was to be a vigil in Bakersfield, California, at a church hosting a KUFI event, Christians United for Israel. And unfortunately, our vigil leader was not able to attend, so we had to cancel our presence there. But the notices went out. We did send a notice, follow-up notice that we would not be there. But the interesting thing, we actually got results. People responded. And we had a, a very nice, favorable letter uh, from a Palestinian who thanked us. We're not going to read it. It's very nice, and it's nice to see that uh, people appreciate uh, what we're doing at We Hold These Truths. And the other letter is a beautiful example, I would guess, that you could say of a Christian Zionist that was offended by by our presence there. And so we're going to call this gentleman Mr. C.W. And I want Leslie to, in today's WHCT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about something brand new here at We Hold These Truths. We're going to call it a virtual vigil. And what is a virtual vigil? Well, it didn't really start out to be a virtual vigil. It was actually a planned vigil in Bakersfield, California, at a KUFI event, Christians United for Israel. We have done, I don't know how many now, it's probably close to 20 KUFI events in, in the years that we've been doing this since 2002. Anyway, our leader who was to lead the vigil was not able to make it, and so we had to cancel it. And we sent out cancellation notices but the beautiful thing about this is, even though we weren't there, we were able to ruffle some feathers, and we got various responses, one of them which we won't go into, but was actually from a Palestinian man who's been watching us over the years, and he thanked us for, for what we're doing for them. And so that really is a blessing to us and an encouragement. And the letter that we want to talk about today is a good example of a Christian Zionist and his response. We actually ruffled his feathers. And so we're going to talk about this letter from C.W. and we'll not identify other than the initials there. And Leslie, why don't you read the initial letter from C.W.? On Monday, October 14, 2013, at 12.33 p.m., Mr. C.W. wrote, You have to be kidding me? What part of, quote, I will bless those that bless you and curse those who curse you, unquote, did you not understand? What did God do to the Canaanites? What will Jesus do to the unbelievers at Armageddon? What happens to those who don't believe in Jesus in eternity? God still has plans for Israel and declared their return. They will occupy their land forever. 
Do you not believe what God has written, or do you just prefer to make it up as you go? Mr. C.W., proud supporter of Israel. Okay, now Chuck responded, so let me just read it. It's a short response. Why don't you go ahead and read that, Leslie? Thanks, Curtis. I appreciate every note. I am a former Baptist deacon who spent 15 years in two Christian Zionist churches before I figured it out. I also served two terms in the Army, drafted twice. So I feel I can ask you, what part of, quote, blessed are the peacemakers, unquote, do you not understand? For life, not war, Chuck Carlson. And, of course, in his letter, it's rooted firmly in Genesis 12:3, the promise that many of our Christian Zionist friends claim goes today. And we'll talk about just a little bit later here. Galatians, actually, and throughout the New Testament, basically negates this. This vehicle that was Israel through Abraham was used to bring forth our Savior, Jesus Christ. Chuck, would you like to add anything before we go on to the the next installment uh, of this interchange well, yeah, here? I guess so, in sort of an object lesson about how to deal with people like this. He starts off with this uh, war chant, what did God do to the Canaanites? Of course, we know that the book of Joshua and elsewhere, in many places there, are, there were accounts of the slaughter of the Canaanites by the Israelites after, of course, the, the time of Abraham. So he starts off on this warring note, really, that why don't we understand the wars of God against the non-Christian peoples? And uh, so uh, we just answered that uh, with a little probe and got him wound up and he, and he wrote more. So we find that that's, uh, the, the temptation is to always argue secular things with people when they write your letters like that. And uh, the best course is to just give them a bit of Bible and ask them how they handle that. Right. Well, let's go on with his response here. On Thursday, October 24, 2013, at 6.30 p.m., Mr. C.W. wrote, Dear Chuck, thanks for the response. Quite honestly, I didn't expect one, so even though we disagree, you have my respect for your service and your willingness to engage the discussion. To your point, being a peacemaker does not mean giving in on conviction or compromising principle. God did not seek peace when he told the Israelites to go in and take the land he had promised Abraham. He told them to annihilate the inhabitants. The return of the Jews to Israel is prophesied in a part of end times. The turning of the world against Israel is also prophesied, and those who do lose. Jesus did not, quote, make peace, unquote, with the money changers and merchants in the temple. The Palestinians had everything they could have ever expected offered by Clinton and Arafat, walked away because that was not the treaty to usher in the tribulation. As a former Baptist, I assume you are both Christian and saved, If you are, my concern for you as a brother is that your actions are open rebellion against God and his word. If you are not, then nothing I say matters anyway. Israel's existence is a miracle of God. They should never have made it off the beaches. God has not abandoned his chosen people, and in fact, the church, 
the body of Christ, will lead the new Jerusalem, symbolic of the Jewish people, and the two shall become one flesh as the people of God and live with him forever. If you are a Christian, don't be against Israel. Okay, Chuck, where do you, uh, where do you start on something like this? This is really all over the map. Well, typically what you have here is when you get people like uh, C.W. opened up, what they normally do is they provide their mixture of ancient scripture, uh, what was happening with the Chaldeans 3,000 years ago that we, we think happened because we read about it in Joshua, and then he mixes that liberally in with what's going on right now in the Holy Land because the idea of dispensationalism is that they do believe that uh, what happened in Israel is nothing more than the extension and the continuation of uh, the ancient biblical scriptures. And this is the error, of course, of Christian Zionism as they fail to recognize who God was talking to in the Bible. So it's not unusual for them to launch into this uh, bizarre mixture of their idea of what's happening, what the supposed facts are in the Middle East, mixed in with their idea of scripture. So we always concentrate on the little scriptural things uh, and the scriptural mistakes that these guys make along the way. And that's what I did in my letter that I answered him. I just concentrated on talking about some of the, the scriptural things that he glossed over. Well, the Christian Zionists love to stay in the Old Testament, but as followers of Jesus Christ, I think we use the uh, New Testament as a lens to read the Old Testament, and I would refer C.W. to Galatians. There's evidence all over, but in Galatians 3, Paul's talking uh, here in verse 15, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So that would indicate that it is to Jesus Christ, not a real estate deal or a uh, continuation promise uh, this would make God a racist somehow. And we are in a spiritual kingdom. Jesus Christ said as much. And he says further in chapter 3, Paul, in verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. So there's really no difference in the concept that there's still chosen people today, Jews being the chosen people, is not true because any follower of Jesus Christ is a member of the chosen people. So we've got racist tendencies on Christian Zionists, and in some extreme cases, we see Christian Zionists say that there's two paths to redemption or, or salvation one for Gentiles and then one for the Jews. And our reading of the Bible, of the New Testament, I think there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Well, again, uh, as you point out, Christian Zionists invariably skips the New Testament. They go directly from Abraham to the fields of Israel, and then they get into the secular matters there in Israel. 
and then their predictions about the future matters yet to come, and they skip entirely over Jesus in the, in the New Testament. And that's because they don't have answers for the little pithy questions of uh, who is Jesus' mom, blessed are the peacemakers, and uh, I came to bring love to you and not to hatred. So that's just very much paraphrased. Okay, well now uh, Chuck wrote another response, and embedded in this response are some more comments and questions by CW. So I'm going to have Leslie read Chuck's letter, and then I'm going to read CW's embedded response, and then we'll discuss that as we go along here. Mr. C.W., I have had these conversations with many since leaving the Southern Baptist Convention. I knew these arguments to be specious when taught to me. Please examine your own arguments in light of Jesus' overall theme of, quote, love your brother, unquote, even, quote, love your enemy, unquote. And C.W. responds, loving your enemy doesn't mean to let him move into your home and kill your family. It is like love the sinner but hate the sin. Jesus did not die to excuse sin but to cleanse it for those who repent. This is, of course, another secular application. Christian Zionists have problems with Jesus' words. And uh, love your brother, even love your enemy, gives them a, a lot of trouble. And so they usually jump into some hypothetical situation where you're, uh, where you're not willing to protect your own interests or yourself or your family. And they then try to create every situation that's around us into self-defense, including all of our wars that we're in and which they acknowledge. These are always wars to prevent somebody from taking over your house and killing your family, as this man says. So we just go on from that, I think. Usually you need to leave those things behind and not get wrapped up in them. Okay, Leslie, why don't you go on with Chuck's response there. Often, as with you, I get letters about Jesus whipping money changers, the, quote, buy a sword, unquote, but not two, argument for violence, and the new and different Armageddon militant Jesus on a white horse at some future time. C.W. comments, Are you suggesting that this warrior Jesus is not in the Bible or somehow not relevant? How do you reconcile that God and Christ will condemn all those who believe not, including those Palestinians you wish to support, to take to the lake of fire for eternity, or do you not believe that part of Scripture also? We, again, it's the idea of picking the war theme. And here he's talking of pure racism, of course. Supposedly the Israelites are already justified in God's eyes so that the Jewish inhabitants of the Holy Land are kind of saved in his mind by some other scheme. He doesn't really say that what it is, but then he goes on to say the Palestinians... Uh, being non-believers, he says, are condemned to the lake of fire for eternity or ever, or ever. So do we believe that? Well, I would probably not take the time to answer that. But it shows the militancy of the Christian Zionist idea and how they, uh, how they just can't get away from the idea of, of a future terrible war and, of course, this uh, incredible punishment. 
that they he allowed it kind of at their wishes to the people who they think are, are not justified in God's eyes. Who is he to judge Palestinians, for instance? There are Palestinian Christians, by the way. We could say this, but uh, we'll just pass this this one and keep going. Well, I'd like to add uh, the, the issue of Palestinian Christians. I just heard a, a gentleman. He's a Palestinian Christian. He's a citizen of Israel. He's the director of a school in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. And the number of Christians is dwindling in the Holy Land, and he feels that his mission to stay there, he was born and, and bred there. And so we have at the extreme end of proponents of Christian Zionism that say Israel or die, that we see people saying that even Palestinians have no right to live in Israel because God gave the land to the Jews, the present day, which means that God is a racist. What about our Christian brothers and sisters? Do they not have a right to live in their own homeland? Or even (laughs) non-Christians. Well, exactly. They're indigenous people of the area. It becomes all the reasoning is thrown out the window, it seems, when it comes to this issue. But it all goes back to who would Jesus bomb? Choose life, not war, is our other expression in addition to blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, let's go on with the next response. Never, as with you, do I get a response to, quote, blessed are the peacemakers, unquote, or who would Jesus bomb? Peace is not a stray line or two, but the major theme of Jesus' life. And then he puts in here, it was Jesus who said he came to divide. Lived out on the cross, do you deny that all these acts and words of his fall short of violence and war? How can you deny that Jesus was a peacemaker on the cross? Chuck, you want to comment? Yes, C.W. is referring to a quote, he came to divide. This is one of the common things. When you ask a Christian Zionist, well, where do you find where Jesus said one word that would justify you to ever take a war against anyone? This is, uh, you know, one of the better questions to keep in your mind and to ask people. And the common answer that Bible students give always comes up with a few things. Number one, Jesus made the whip out of rope and he flogged the the money changers out of the temple. This was a militant act of war. Never mind that uh, it doesn't talk about any being killed or, and that it is probably flowery language, typical of the time, and maybe it's a little bit exaggerated language. But never, nevertheless, hardly qualifies as the kind of thing that we're seeing the Israelis doing to the Palestinians today. Then there is this, Jesus said he came to divide. This is one of the most abusive of all these statements made by Christian Zionists because it's so completely out of the context and, co- and totally contrary to the context of the very passages that he talks about. What C.W. is doing is he's quoting from Luke, the 12th chapter of Luke, where Jesus makes these words. Suppose you that I came to bring peace to the earth. I tell you no, rather division. But then he goes on and explains what he means by division. He doesn't mean a war dividing tribe into tribe with battle lines and and cannons. He said, henceforth there shall be in a house divided three against two and two against three. 
He goes into details in chapter in verse 53. He said the father will be divided against the son, or the son against the father, or the mother against the daughter, and so on and so forth. He goes through the whole family. The point being obviously that when his word comes down and it comes time to believe it, not everybody will believe it. Not everybody will accept it, nor will they accept it at the same time. His words are like a sword that will divide. But of course it does not He's not referring to severing people from their heads. He's referring to spiritual division of, that we have ourselves in our own families and homes and among our friends. Uh, they're the kind of divisions that keep us from speaking our mind in a small group of friends where we just don't know if we're not divided from someone across the table from us. So we are we're reluctant to let them know exactly how we feel sometimes. This is the kind of division that Jesus explains, and he lays it out in detail. And what he's saying to these people is you've got to be true to what you believe, and you've got to speak it out and say it, even when you're afraid. Absolutely the opposite, totally 180, what's being applied by C.W., who says this is an indication that Jesus is promising blood battles with people in some kind of a war. Isn't that amazing that anybody could come up with that kind of a abusive reading of scripture, but C.W. didn't invent this. We hear this from almost everybody who we ever have a chance to get into dialogue with. If you do that, sooner or later, they'll think of these things about the whip made out of ropes and the, and the, and the division, Jesus came to divide, and even one where Jesus was talking to one of the disciples, John maybe, John being a kind of a, a physical one, and, and I think it was John who said, the master, he said, it's going to be rough out there. When we start our mission, we're going to be in danger. And John said, shall I buy another sword? And Jesus essentially said, no one is enough. So the, the people like, uh, like CW will grasp upon that and you say, aha, Jesus said to buy a sword or carry a sword. So Jesus was not against uh, using a sword on people. It's just that. He's being misinterpreted as a peacemaker. So these are the kind of things that we get when we talk to otherwise people who really consider themselves to be devout Christians, and yet they grasp at these straws to try to get away from accepting Jesus' words in the New Testament. Isn't that an amazing thing to have that happen? And it happens over and over again. It is, and I might remind Mr. C.W. of Jesus' word to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I would assume that would include our own family. Just as you so well pointed out, the, the differences divide is in the spiritual realm right there. We certainly aren't to kill our brother or argue with him to the point that we want to get into a fight. That's, that's ridiculous. That goes counter to what Jesus has taught us. A little the later we get into this, we'll see that CW gets insulting. He starts becoming very aggressive and, and, and antagonistic toward the, the writer, which will be. Well, yeah, and here is the next embedded comment. Jesus was the perfect and last blood sacrifice on the cross, nothing more. His sacrifice would usher in countless wars, and he knew it, unquote. Well, of course, God knows the heart of man. Man is a sinful nature, and certainly uh, wars are expected because man is doing what he does so naturally. He's, he's exhibiting his sinful nature. 
Yes, but here he's implying that uh, Jesus was purposely creating wars. So it's the idea, the Christian Zionist idea is it all has to end in a big war. That's really what they believe. It ignores the Great Commission. Right. It does, it's true. Okay, Leslie, Chuck's next comment. Perhaps he is a war maker who you are making up in your own image. And C.W. replies, I try real hard not to make things in a preconceived image, but in the truth of his word. We may not like a sovereign God who does things his way, but he is God and that is his prerogative, unquote. You seem to want to convince yourself. And C.W. responds, no need to convince myself. I have reconciled the warlike and the peace a long time ago. What we have to be very careful of are the lies of Satan, who is ruler of the world. Paul said it best when he said, the son of the bondsman will not inherit the promises of the freeborn. The Arabs are the children of Ishmael and will not inherit the land promised to Isaac. You can wish it, but you are against God when you do so. And here we go on another racist tirade, I would guess you might call this, Chuck. <laughs> yes, yes it is, and it comes right back to the land again. And, and here again, very typically, I would guess C.W. Is, is educated. He's more than just a casual here and forget most of it, Tandy at church, he's taking this stuff out of his head, he's absorbed it, he may teach it. I would guess him to be a teacher of some kind, if not a pastor, maybe assistant pastor. But what he's doing here is uh, he's quoting from scripture that we're very familiar with and that Tom actually quoted earlier, Galatians 4, and uh, the entire theme of it is there is no Judean or Greek, no slave nor free, only those who follow Christ and only those who don't. The verses that C.W. quotes tell us outright that the story that uh, he is referring to is an allegory. The story about the Arabs, I'll go back to what he said, the Arabs are the children of Ishmael, do not inherit the land promised to Isaac. You can wish it otherwise, but blah, blah, blah. So he's going back to this story of the bond woman, and that's retold in Galatians 4. Let me read it to you. Let me ask those of you who want to be subject to the law. Do you not hear what the law says? It says that Abraham had two sons, one of a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave woman was born in the usual way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of God's promise. These things can be understood to be an allegory. It says a figure in my Bible, but in some Bibles it says an allegory, meaning it's not a real story. It's a tale created for the purposes of telling a story. And then he goes on. That, uh, this is Paul speaking in Galatians. The two women represent two covenants. The one whose children were born in slavery is Hagar, and she represents the covenant made to Mount, on Mount Sinai, which, uh, by the way, aside, we think of as the Old Testament covenant to the ancient tribe of Israel, God's one-time promise of a chosen tribe. And then Galatians goes on, a figure of the present city of Jerusalem in slavery with all its people. So he's saying the allegory tells us that the story of Hagar and uh, the son of the slave woman 
is the story about the present day, or the then, in Paul's time, Judeans who were in what he considered to be slavery to the law there in Jerusalem. And then he goes on to say, a figure of the present city of Jerusalem in slavery with all its people. But the heavenly Jerusalem is free, and she is our mother. So this, of course, is the new covenant that they're talking about. So the allegory is, as, as the allegory tells us, it's, this is an allegory about an old covenant and a new covenant. Now, how does C.W. view this? He skips the part about the new covenant and says we're still living in the old covenant. And we have these Arabs who are the sons of, he holds that they're the sons of Hagar, the slave woman, and that the, the Jews in Israel are the sons of the free woman. So he's built his own allegory. He takes the allegory, throws it right out the window, and reconstructs it in his own image. And this is exactly what all Christian Zionists do with these passages. They recreate scripture the way they want it to read. And it always ends up being warlike and uh, full of uh, conflict with an inevitable giant war at the very end. And of course, unlike what we're told in scripture, that the scripture was told to the people who were there and that they were supposed to listen to it and understand it, and it was for them, Mr. C.W. wants to transform all of that out into the future, not to our generation, but to somebody that maybe hasn't even been born yet. Very good. Okay, let's continue on with Chuck's next comment. As for Joshua's and other Israelite leaders, slaughters all the way to Jericho, do you not believe Jesus came to take the place of this kind of sword and drone justice? And C.W. replies, Jesus was part of it. How many times did Jesus say, I and my Father are one? Jesus does not hide from the Old Testament any more than he will shrink his responsibility at Armageddon. Jesus is always faithful to God's word. Chuck, you got a comment? Well, uh, yes, of course, this is the old dispensational trick. When you ask the Christian Zionist or the Judeo-Christian, whatever they call themselves, uh, the people that believe that the state of Israel today is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, if you follow our little pattern here, you always get these same responses because there are only so many things they can come up with. And when cornered, when it brought, brought down to where they cannot get around the idea that Jesus was the universal peacemaker, then they go back and recreate Christ in the image of the God of the Old Testament. And they simply say, well, Scripture says that uh, before the beginning, God had Jesus in mind that Jesus was there from the beginning, Son of God, eventually. And so they go on and then impute all of the things that were done in the Old Testament as though Jesus did them in his own hand and sword. And then they, then they transform this Jesus on a horseback there at Jericho beside Joshua as they slaughter the Canaanites there at Jericho. They transform that Jesus out into the future sometime uh, into a war at Armageddon when he's going to come back on the, hopefully on a fresh horse. So this is strictly Christian, Judeo-Christianity in its ultimate form. This is what John Hagee is all about. Every one of these leaders teaches. And the reason C.W. comes up with this, he's heard an awful lot of this. He may have heard 20 or 30 years of this for all we know. 
You may have practiced all this and had to have it set to memory much better than we do. And we might remind uh, CW and those cynics that are listening that people like John Hagee have actually prayed for war in the name of Jesus. And I can't see that in any of my reading of the New Testament. None of us can see here. And we would invite Mr. C.W. and those that are interested to actually see. You can go to our website and just put in John Hagee with Benny Hinn praying for war in the name of Jesus. He's called for war against Iran. They're still calling for war for sanctions against Iran. And so how is this being Christ-like? I, I don't know. Let's go on, Leslie, with Chuck's final comments here. All my critics end up with the story of present-day State of Israel's, quote, right to the land under Abraham's promise, unquote. Israel took its name from a book, the Old Testament, in 1947, just as every John and Peter have taken their names from the new. Can Netanyahu trace his lineage back to Abraham? No, no one can. And CW's response, you may be a voice for Ancestry.com, but the Jews that returned to Israel were Jews and had been persecuted as such all over the world and as such are descendants of Abraham, even if no papers to prove it. Okay, we've covered uh, that one. So now he's got some questions for us. One, do you not agree that the Jews' return to Israel was prophesied in Scripture? Well, I think we've covered that one. It's a spiritual kingdom, and God is not a real estate agent. He's not a racist anymore. Chuck, would you want to add some more to that? That that statement of uh, CIDs that the Jews return to Israel was prophesied in Scripture is a definition that we have invented or arrived at by studying people like this as what Christian Zionism is. It is the belief that the present-day political state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And this is exactly the question he's asking. And so, of course, our answer is no. This is exactly what we're against. Okay, his question number two. If you are a peacemaker, why do you take honor in siding with one side and vilifying me and others for our support of the other? Well, we're not vilifying anybody. We want peace and justice for all in in Israel. And that's silly. We get uh, people, uh, I was in discussion with a person not too long ago, and they were the Christian Zionists, and they said, well, I suppose you want to nuke Israel or some nonsense. I said, why would I want to do that? You know, killing innocent people, whether they're Jewish or Palestinian, is wrong in the sight of God's eyes. We're seeing Christian Zionists that can justify wars, justify the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. We were lied uh, about uh, the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and we went to war. That's all been brought out since then. But we have people that are beating the drums that these were just wars, Christian Zionists. In fact, I was at my church in a professor's class that wrote a book about politics in the Bible. And that was his stance, that these wars were just. And 
in my humble opinion and many people's opinion, they were not just wars. Leslie, you had to comment? Well, I think even Chuck's pointed out that uh, in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus never said to kill anybody. And my humble opinion is it's not our job as Christians to uh, kill anyone. It's to evangelize and bring people to Christ and let them know the love of Christ. Amen. Well said. That's right. I mean, that's the duty of, of government. When governments are designed by God to protect, but let's face it, any reasonable observer would say that we've, we attacked Iraq with no danger of being attacked by them. So there was no imminent danger from being attacked by Iraq. There was no connection to Al-Qaeda that they were trying to make. And so we have all kinds of justifications for going to war, and we feel good about it. And so our... Again, we would remind people of one of our signs, choose life, not war. Many evangelicals, and I would imagine C.W., is pro-life, and he's against you know, abortion, killing the innocent. A lot of Christian Zionists see no problem with these wars, like in Iraq or Afghanistan, where a large number of innocent civilian women and children have been killed, and this has been going on since 1991, the first Gulf War. Yes. We don't see the consequence for our belief here and how it affects others in another country. Right, uh, absolutely. We best not to get too much involved in the secular side of it because they've already got their mind made up on the secular side of it. What we have to do is we have to inoculate them with a little serum that makes them realize that they are messing up the Bible. And that should bother them if they really are dealing to feel that they are somehow interested in what God believes, wants for their life. So that's, that's I think, where we have to try to plant the seed. Here's yeah, another question here that follows. It's another secular question. Where were you when Arafat turned down the peace treaty Clinton offered? Well, we're not going to get in an argument about Bill Clinton or Yasser Arafat or the former leadership of the Palestinian people or the former president of the United States and what they did and why they did it. This is what Christian Zionists do to try to get you off the track. They don't want to talk about the New Testament. It's almost an automatic switch. Bring up the New Testament and they're going to bring up Yasser Arafat or Bill Clinton or George W. Bush or somebody or some other fact that they consider, something else they consider to be a fact which is usually vastly distorted. So we, we just steer away from those questions. Right. And his last question is, which dead babies and murdered families do you consider that Jesus would say were righteous? Well, that's a nonsensical question. I mean, that's, uh, I don't even, not even worth responding to. I mean, after what we've said here, they've turned their back on Jesus. Blessed are the peacekeepers. Yeah, they really do reveal the heart of the man. At the end of this, he feels like he doesn't have any place to go. So he then launches into sort of a tirade here about dead babies and murdered families. And is he saying that the Palestinians and murdered families were not of concern to Jesus because they are not righteous? What is, we don't even know what he's saying here. So these are the things where we have to say, look, friend, we need to sit down and talk about the scriptural things that you have brought up before because we've got some serious problems. Keep in mind, we have not read to this man 
the answers that we're coming up here tonight at this program. I have to yet send those to him, and Doug will see what he has to say. Well, again, at the very end, he comes out with a statement of total abject racism. God sent Jesus to the Jews. Do you really think he supports your position? God did not send Jesus to one race of people. Hardly. You don't have to read very far in the New Testament to find that out. That was discussed in the New Testament. There were people in the New Testament who thought God sent Jesus only for the Judeans of his day. There was no Jew at that time. So God I thought he came for the lost. He came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then in Galatians, as you read so clearly, it states over and over again in, in the book of Galatians, all through the book, that God's promise was also to all of the people of the world, to what he called the Gentiles. And that was, uh, that's the theme of the book of Galatians and other writings in many, many, many places. C.W. goes on here trying to convince, kind of coming on to me a bit here. And C.W. finishes off, it is not me trying to convince myself, Chuck, it is you. I don't support argument for argument's sake, but I do believe you are not only wrong, but in danger of God's ire, and I would hope to say something to change your mind. I'll correspond as long as it seems appropriate. By the way, are you a believer? What do you believe? And since you are no longer a Baptist, to what denomination, if any, do you now subscribe? You're truly DW. This is an important spot in this, in this dialogue. We need to know how to handle this. Because in these questions, it always takes a shape. First, they present their little trivial arguments that are based upon false use of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, when you carry those and point out to them how they're wrong, which you don't have to know much more than we've talked about tonight to deal with almost any Christian Zionist. They then go on into these uh, sort of a tirade on, on secular matters, their interpretation of the world and the way it's working, which they have their own view of, and they give that to you and try to divert you of that. And then at the end, after all of that's over, they uh, sort of level a personal attack when you try to, try to get you to discredit yourself in their own minds. So they want you to answer a bunch of their questions about your spiritual life. Quite often, they ask you to pray with them. And uh, we've all had that happen when we've been at these things and, and people have come, come out and asked you to pray. And what their prayer then turns out to be is a lecture. And, of course, in prayer you're too polite to interrupt. You don't say, hey, this is BS. I'm not going to listen to any more of this prayer. So you stand there and they are able to give you a big lecture on, on life or whatever's in their head. Christian Zionists do these kind of things. And they're used to doing it. So you have to be prepared at this point, I think my response to him is going to be, look, I don't want to discuss my spiritual life with you because God told people to keep that to themselves. He was against the bragging and boasting of the Pharisees about their spiritual superiority. He even told people, when they pray, go off by themselves behind a tree or in a closet where they're alone and throw themselves before God. He didn't tell them, you get in arguments and debates over who was more spiritual. And that's kind of where these kind of questions lead. They lead into a sort of a popular trap of the Christian Zionist is to get you into a personal discussion of your own faith belief, which then they take advantage of this. 
It's not a relevant thing to the discussion here of what Jesus taught. The question is, in each person's heart is, are you following Jesus or aren't you? And you don't have to tell anybody that. Uh, you're not under oath to pronounce exactly how you feel about your relationship with God. What we have here is what I call the private branding of Christianity. My brand is better than your brand. Yeah. Your brand doesn't match my brand, then you are obviously wrong, and I can castigate you. But you know, we are followers of Jesus Christ. We've made simple declarations. John three sixteen: For God so loved the the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believe in Him would have everlasting life. Well, what part of that is difficult? We tend to make everything difficult, and we want to throw all these things in, and we throw Jesus out so many times by turning our back on what he taught us. And uh, it's, it's amazing. But this is, we thank CW actually for this opportunity that you've given us to discuss this, and we hope that other people listening to this podcast will pass it on and maybe get a a better understanding of what makes a Christian Zionist tick. We've seen this in 12 years now, almost 11 years of doing these vigils in front of churches. We hope listeners will sit down and think over these, these facts of discussion because these are not isolated facts. We've all heard these many times. I don't know how many times I've heard these same arguments. And I know Tom and, and Leslie, you've heard them too. And there aren't too many yeah. of them. So. Uh, I call so. it circular thinking. <laughs> or the script. I'm sorry. <laughs> and we all came out of these, some of these beliefs. That's the others right. stronger than, you know, so we can sympathize with the CWs and other people of the world. And it is, it's hard to change your opinion on, on things. That's why we're doing these broadcasts. Exactly. Podcasts. Yes. All right, well, that's our report for tonight. Thanks for listening in, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.